Grab a seat, guys. In 1993, I was uh, 13 years old, makes me 25 now, and um, when I was uh, 13, my dad and I uh, bonded over a television show. Uh, I know many of you haven't heard of it, some of you here have. Uh, It was called Cheers. Any any of you guys familiar with the show Cheers? Now that I've said that I was 13 watching, in fact, I've been watching it for three years, starting at 11, you should start worrying about my dad's uh, parenting skills a little bit. Uh, I think he, uh, you know, enjoyed the bonding experience that he was, and I think uh, he also thought it was a good way to teach me about the birds and the bees, and uh, so I think he relied on Sam alone. But for those of you that aren't aware of the show, uh, it's about this bar in Boston that uh, is run by an uh, ex-pro baseball player named Sam Malone. And he's quite a ladies' man, and uh, yeah, that's true. And uh, he finds himself, no ladies' man's fans here apparently, okay? Uh, he finds himself in a place where he's kind of organizing and coordinating this riffraff of people that are all around the bar. Anyway, the time came in 1993 for the show to shut down. My dad and I were looking forward to the series finale in a weird way. And uh, we were like both, he was sitting on his classic lazy, did your dad have a lazy boy chair, you know? He was sitting on his lazy boy, and I'm huddled with a blanket next to him on the couch. Kind of weird, but it was good. And the series finale, the very last scene, listen to this. Uh, the, the bar is completely dark. Sam's alone in the bar, and someone knocks on the door. And like my dad and I are just hanging there like, what's going to happen? And he goes over to the door, and the person like standing outside, and he just goes, sorry, we're closed. And the credits roll, and my dad and I start weeping. I mean, I had only seen my dad cry at Promise Keepers before the series finale of Cheers. You know what I'm saying? Like this was, this was a father-son, just epic, epic moment. Series finale. What series finale was it for you? Like what, what was the thing that you, you just, you never wanted to see it end, right? Any, any examples? Pardon me? I heard of Friends. Any Friends fans here? Okay. Yeah. That was a pretty epic series finale. What else? Pardon me? MASH. Nice. How about the mask call? <laughs> my name is Earl. Uh, that, that really wasn't an epic. Uh. My recent one, my wife and I uh, got into, in my opinion, the best show ever, Friday Night Lights. Um, incredible Kyle Chandler, this awesome journey of the Dylan Panthers. Anyway, uh, similarly, this is a few months back, Heidi and I are watching the series finale. And at one moment in the series finale, I look over at her and I am like, like if I was wearing makeup, it would just be all over my face. I mean, we were both just like huddled up next to each other, you know, just, oh no, this is, you know, it was just such an, it was such an epic moment. We, we love these, these moments in a strange way because we want things to never end. And as I've been thinking about that so much, what I realize is, I don't think we experience that much outside of those pseudo fantasy realities. We don't get, get to experience that amazing moment that says, like, I wish it would just never end. Like, can it just keep going forever? We don't get to experience it because we don't persevere. We rarely see things through. We always stop short. It seems like all the things we start, we stop for some reason. Some adversity comes or someone says something or we get lazy. We never get to the end of something to want more of it. We are always stopping short. 
Well, tonight uh, we come to the end of a year and a half long journey of the book of Hebrews. And I can say in all honesty and vulnerability, first of all, this text has messed me up tremendously. Second of all, I can say this. Like, I want so much more. Because the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus, and as for me and my house, I can't get enough of it. And it's not just contained in the book of Hebrews, it's all throughout the scriptures and all over the Holy Spirit and all in, I believe, our existence. I can't get enough of it. And so, if tonight you're here for the first time, you were actually ending a year and a half journey, you won't feel left out, I promise. And if you've been journeying with us that whole time, or listening intently on the app, right, you'll see these powerful, powerful words that come from this writer of Hebrews, whoever he might have been. So I have much to say. I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. The very end of a long journey, verses 17 to 25, uh, so much powerful stuff. It's packed full of tasty treats and morsels. Let's begin here in verse 17. All the way to verse 25 will actually cover almost the most amount of text we have in any given uh, teaching. Are you guys all there? Can you see it? If not, don't worry about it. Here we go. Verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. In verse 19. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Be brought back. Another way of saying it. And listen, verse 20 and 21, I'm just going to tell you right now, are ridiculous. So check this out, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. See you later. Have a nice night. You know what I'm saying? Like that verse is ridiculous. The three of us that think so, praise God. Verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with uh, whom I, 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 uh, I shall see you if he comes soon. Verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, random mention of Italy, great pizza, send your greetings. And verse 25, grace be with all of you. An amazing passage, so much to say. Let's begin here in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This would be an amazing moment for me to go on some tyrant rant uh, about everything that any leader has ever said in your life. You're to just to adhere to it. Rather, I'd like to draw our attention to the after comma. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Uh, I started dating my wife when I was 16, but I have to say I really enjoyed my freshman and sophomore year because it was in those years that I could flirt. Any other people here enjoy flirting a bit or used to, right? Okay, uh, for those of us that raise their hand and the rest of you that are lying in sin, um, <laughs> there's something about flirting that is somewhat fun. Let's just admit to it. And the reason why it's fun, at least from the guy's perspective, is you, you get to build your self-esteem without buying a birthday present. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get to, like, have the interaction and banter with girls and like, oh, you're so pretty. And, and like all of a sudden, the, cra- like the silliest things they say, which make absolutely no sense, they, they, like you just laugh because you're trying to like mac a little bit, you know what I'm saying? So they'll just, say, they'll just be talking about just absolute nonsense, right? 50, 60, 70% of the time. And, and you're just like, oh, that's like the wittiest thing. Like, and in your heart, you're like, this girl is an idiot, right? But, but 
she's pretty cute, so let's roll with it, you know? When you flirt, like, there's no commitment. You know, there's no commitment, right? You're just getting to enjoy, like, feeding this. And uh, her name was uh, Katie Aderman. She uh, sat next to me in uh, sophomore English. And I just remember, like, every day, like, passing notes, you know? Oh, I like those jeans that you're wearing today. You know, we would just kind of, like, laugh. But in my heart, I was like, man, I, I think this chick likes me. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was fun. It was fun. And uh, my fear is that many of you are missing out on the blessing of church because you're flirting with the church. Strange transition, right? In other words, like, um, the blessing that verse 17 is pointing to is that leaders, the right ones, deeply care for their flock. And because they care for it, they're keeping watch over your souls. They care for you so much so that they're teaching passionately the Word of God, directing all of us to the person of Christ. But many of you find yourself flirting with the church. Kind of in, kind of out. And what you're doing is, to you, kind of fun. You get to come in, enjoy the benefits of being here or being in some other context while never committing to accountability. Or never experiencing the blessing of having godly men who deeply care about your furtherment in your walk with Jesus. I look at a culture, especially in this particular age demographic that makes up most of our second gathering, and I see a whole bunch of buffet eaters and few people who see the blessing of being connected to the body of Christ. It's much easier to walk in, walk out, a few high fives, deuces, we'll see you next week, than it is to say, you know what, This this is the people I'm journeying with. And I'm not a salesman for Matthias. Please hear me. I don't have some timeshare map that I'm going to show you. Here's the benefits of coming to Matthias, right? We have great food. It's all-inclusive. We have great virgin pina coladas. I'm not going to share that with you. We're one small piece of God's great church. And we've got our issues. We've got our struggles. But we're seeking the person of Christ at reckless abandon. And so I encourage you, if you find yourself tonight flirting with a church, this one or another... Find a place that you can plug in, serve, connect. Find some older folks that you can learn from. Don't call them older. Call them seasoned, you know. And get underneath some pastors and some leaders that really passionately care about your growth in Christ. Are we together? Like no more just going to Pondegrosa Steakhouse and eating off the buffet from every which, you know, serve. Some of you guys go to like nine services a, a week. You're like, man, this is just awesome. Like I go to this thing and that thing. And not serving at any of them, Right? Well, the blessing of being connected to a church is having men who deeply care about your soul. And then this uh, verse gives an interesting uh, ending. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, speaking about the leaders, for that would be of no advantage to you. Can I talk to the complainers for a moment? I have two major annoyances in life. First, no showers for me personally. And second, uh, complainers. Complainers, they, they get underneath my skin, okay? Because they're always the victim. You know people like this? And some of you are, should be pointing at 1-800-YOSELF, you know? Because this is you. It's a real number. Look it up, right? Like, you're, you're always the victim. You're always complaining. People will say uh, all kinds of things about their job. I don't like my job. My boss doesn't like me. I don't like anyone that's there. They all treat me, blah, blah, blah. I don't make any money. Right? That kind of sounded funny there at the end. That was nice. I don't make any money. Right? And then, and then they're describing this to me. And then I... I I was like, so uh, why don't you quit? Well, quit, come on. Like, I need the money. 
So give thanks for the fact that you have a job because if you need money, this job's providing it. Maybe you can be discontent and praying that God will provide another, but why don't you shut your big yapper, stop complaining, and, and celebrate what God's graced you with. You see what I'm saying? Well, how huge is it when you follow leaders who find themselves not embracing the joy of Christ, but rather constantly complaining? Do you guys understand the epidemic that that creates? Then all the trials and suffering aren't blessings from God. And that goes against the scripture. Are we together? Then anything that ever goes wrong, we're like, seriously? And we just all create this huge church complaining fest, right? I can't believe God did this. I can't believe instead of, thank you, God, for allowing me to go through this opportunity to suffer because it's taught me more about your character. That's what good Christian biblical men that are leading churches and pastoring churches should be doing. Helping encourage the body of Christ to suffer well. And so he says, listen, leaders, shut your groaning mouths and lead out of the joy of Christ. Are we together, right? An amazing text, and it moves on here to verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. This uh, jogged my memory a bit and actually made me think of another verse in Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, And I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. You see the similarity? I know you're not Captain Obvious like I am, but can anyone see the connection between conscious and being clear and prayer? That when you're not burdened with shame and regret and remorse, it, like, it frees you up to plead the throne of God, which is one of the great blessings of the cross of Christ. So I wonder... Um, if the early church and the early movement of God was so connected to prayer, why have we become so prayerless? Let me say it another way. I believe one of our biggest issues is we're all doing Christianity without Christ. We've trained ourselves so well in the Christian robotics. Stand up, don't do this, don't, you know, don't be in this relationship, don't kiss until this, don't, you know, like all of these things. And we've just learned how to do Christianity without Christ. Uh, what you see in the biblical writers and the early church is they knew their desperate need of Jesus and they knew that they desperately needed prayer and so you have dudes inspired by God to write books of the Bible who are crying out, please pray for us. And we have the audacity to think, I'm good. Like, dude, I'm pretty good today. No major struggles, no major issues. My relationship seems intact. I got an A minus the other day on this thing. I'm pretty good. No, no, no. Pray for us, he says. And I look at all of you and I say, you're showing your need of Jesus by the amount of time you're spending in prayer. So what would your prayer life say now about your need? Well, it, I needed him like four weeks ago or something for like two seconds. We must not be a prayerless generation, my friends. The early Christian writers knew that prayer and a clear conscience and moving forward in Christ was huge. He goes on to say this in verse uh, ni uh, 19. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now this is huge. Such a small verse. And if you were reading the end of books of, of the Bible, you just kind of check out. Because like the end of a letter. And if you check out, you miss so much amazing stuff. Do you understand what we see here in this verse? This writer is so passionately connected to his readers 
that we see this amazing picture of love and truth. I've told you guys many times before, I believe everyone everywhere from here to Abu Dhabi. Is that a real place? Help me. Okay. Yes, it is. From here to wherever, Abu Dhabi, for example, Australia, wherever, someplace far away, everyone is looking for love and truth in that order. Love and truth. Well, do you, do you see what he's saying? I urge you the more earnestly to do this, to pray, in order that I can come back to you. In other words, I've been pouring my heart out for 13 chapters worth teaching you the depth of the character of Jesus and the supremacy of Christ and how this old covenant is done and you need to embrace the new. And I've done it so much so that I can't wait to be with you again. I love you. I didn't just write it as some scholarly work hoping you would wear your spectacles with a little magnifying glass and read it like you're in some, you know, a library somewhere. I read it so that your heart would be changed. Here we see the pastor's heart of the writer. I love this and I pray the week in and week out as you're journeying with us and wherever it is that you're going, that you sense that. We and I deeply care about your growth in Christ. Pray for us that we can continue to hold and hunker down in the scriptures. Now, uh, when it was your birthday, quick transition. When it was your birthday, um, th- did your mama cook you something nice? Right? One of my favorite pieces about my birthday was mom would come to you and say, so what do you want? And you got to come up, at least I did, and I hope you weren't deprived of this, I got to come up with like whatever concoction of meal I could possibly do. It was like everything awesome in one meal. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, did you have this with your mama, right? Well, two days ago, uh, I woke up and I had this moment with my wife. It's not my birthday, but I woke up just feeling like, like I need like a mama's birthday meal. So I said, I, I went to my wife and I was like, I rarely ask for uh, her to make something specific. When you get married, you learn not to do that very often. You just like go with, you just go with what mama makes. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, honey. Everything's awesome. But two days ago, I woke up, and I I was thinking to myself, bacon. (laughs) And lettuce and tomato on on bread. Any any BLT fans here? And then I thought to myself, which this I know will sound strange, but I thought to myself, fried zucchini, right? Listen, if you ain't... Listen, if you ain't been to the Chinese buffet over by Walmart, I'll tell you right now, it's time to roll up on it, all right? (laughs) One of the amazing things they got up on that buffet is fried zucchini, and I just shovel that stuff. I mean, it is. It tricks you because you think it's healthy because it's zucchini, but then it just dipped in butter and batter and just awesomeness, you know what I mean? (laughs) So anyway, that's neither here nor there. I woke up, and I said, honey, uh, BLT and fried zucchini. And so last night, we had BLT, fried zucchini, and just, it was like everything good I felt like in this little section. Now, these next two verses are mama's birthday meal. He gets to the end of this entire book, and he throws like everything awesome in two verses. And like right now, we're just getting ready just to feast. Are we together? Like if you came here hungry tonight, like right now, the word of God, it will, it will feed you. I'm telling you right now. Are we together? So let's move on to verse 20. I love this, I love this, I love this. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, we'll get to verse 21 later. This is packed with huge promises, and so I want to look at those. The first is this, the first promise is God is a God of peace. He's closing the letter, and in these two verses, he throws it all in one big pot, and he starts with this, God is a God of peace. Why? Because he knows his readers are longing for it, just like you. 
Uh, so I'm a big fan of duct tape. Anyone else? It fixes everything. It, it seems to like, and, and I'm personally not a handyman myself. And so like my gutters are falling down, duct tape. You know, my toilet's exposed, duct tape. Like everything for me is duct tape. Children are screaming duct tape. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter, right? And I feel like, I feel like so many of you tonight are, are, are literally just, you're so demembered, riddled in shame, regret, that you're just like all, you're just pieced together, being held together by all these things that you think will hold this life that feels so fragile in one piece. He begins this amazing verse with this simple truth. God is the God of peace. You don't need to look anywhere else. I know tonight that there's uh, girls in here who have been raped and abused. I know it because I, I, I talk to you. I know there's girls tonight uh, also that are struggling greatly with pornography. Girls. I know there's girls tonight that struggle tremendously with eating disorders in this room. I know it because I talk to you. I know there's, there, there's dudes tonight that the base premise of their identity is your insecurity. I know there's dudes tonight that are so sexually driven in their relationship currently, they feel like there's no way out. And I know all of you, whatever your situation is, whatever the hurt is, whatever the I'm never going to get out of this is, you need to hear this. He is the God of peace. He restores all. And I know, listen, I know you feel buried right now. There's no way this eating disorder will ever go away. I need to fit this image. And I'm so struggling in my mind, contorting what God has made me to be. You need to hear this. He's the God of all peace. He restores all. He heals all. And at the moment that you think, no, 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 there's no way. I've realized how big the porn epidemic is in our female constituency. And the problem is no one's talking about it because all we do is talk about dudes and porn, dudes and masturbation. It's time to start shifting that conversation, adding the girls into it so more girls can start holding one another accountable. Are we together? Because the more that you expose sin, the more people feel like I can finally raise my hand and say I'm struggling because I know grace will abound. And let me just tell you, all of you this, for those of you struggling with homosexuality, God is the God of all peace. He begins there because you don't have to duct tape your messed up life together. He does it. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to keep trying to piece it. Maybe this limb can get back on or maybe this. He restores it. So that's where he begins. And then he adds this. Listen to this. Jesus is resurrected. This is significant. Can I share that with you? Um, because he hasn't talked about the resurrection of Jesus, the whole book of Hebrews. Hasn't done it. He certainly implied that Christ is living. But here at the end, by the way, Jesus walked out of the tomb, right? Let me just encourage the church with that. And for me and my house, like that in and of itself, I know it's not Easter. I apologize. I know you're not wearing your fluorescent pants and tie, all right, or your nice spring dress. I'm sorry. It's not Easter, but he's still out of the tomb. And just the thought of that, I believe, should cause a little bit of a party, a little bit of a stir. Make us want to throw these chairs up against the wall and start actually acting like the church. See what I'm saying? 
Because it's only because of the life of Christ. If he was still in the tomb, we'd be coming together for a memorial service. So, uh, man, Jesus, good teacher, good prophet, died 2,000 years ago. That's a rough one for us. All right. Let's light some candles. Right? Why do so many church gatherings feel like a memorial service or a funeral? The funeral has already been done. You see what I'm saying? And the amazing thing is, is the grace of Jesus is enough to take our wretched dead selves and kill our sins on the cross as well so that we can be freed. So let me just tell you this. He's resurrected. And as this, as this man is ending Hebrews, he has to bring that into fruition. He is alive. Then he says this. I love this. Number three. Uh, Jesus is the great shepherd, which means this. He will not lead you astray. You've trusted man at some point in their life, and they've led you astray, and that's burned you, and you're like, I'm never going to trust any leader again. You follow people, that's what they do. They lead you astray. Even the great leaders eventually will fail. He never does, ever. You, you, you may be like, well, well how, do, how, do I, how do I test that theory? I've been testing it since I was seven years old. I've been reading the scripture and seeing if this is actually true. And you're like, oh, well, well, of course you're going to say that. You're a preacher. I mean, come on, seriously. Like, you're, like pastor is what you, listen. Over and over and over as I see lives being changed by the power and the truth of the gospel, the consistent message that I hear back is, I never thought anyone could be that consistent. He's faithful. He's the great shepherd. And so as sheep, like we all are, the scripture says, we can follow him. And, and you're like, well, well, will that mean he'll like, we'll always be going through the grassy fields of, you know, of just awesomeness? No. Right? That's a real place, the grassy fields of awesomeness. Look it up. Google map it, right? The fourth thing he says is this, that Jesus' blood secures the new covenant, which is eternal. The whole book of Hebrews is being written about this tension. And the tension is the old covenant, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, Jews, the Hebrews that he's writing to, are really struggling to still follow this. They're trying to break away to the person of Christ, but they keep going back to what they know. And he's like, no, 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 listen, all of this is temporal. The blood of Jesus makes everything eternal. So everything that is so temporal and small and insignificant here and now, the blood of Christ changes it all. And so what I love about verse 20 is I, I feel like I could just read that verse over and over and over and over and it never get old. Anybody else? I wish that. I wish that for you. I wish that you could open your word and just say, all right, Hebrews 13, 20, go for like a year. And what are you going to hear? That God is the God of peace and that through the blood of Christ, we have something that's eternal. Amazing. But he's not done. He adds a verse 21, which is quite spectacular. And he, he through that blood, is going to equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the things I miss about being a kid so much is going to the park. Anybody else? And so when you have, no one else, okay. So when you, when you have children, it's amazing because you get to go back to the park. And uh, last night I was thinking about this. 
we uh, took our riffraff, a one, two, and three, to the park. And uh, what's happening now is my son Maddox, my youngest son, he's a, a year and a half, growing quite expediently, getting a little curly blonde hair in the back. We call him Curly Sue sometimes. He is getting uh, quite daring. And so he follows his brother Dawson, who has no fear of anything really uh, around now. And so he's starting to get brave. So we're at the park, and Dawson is like, Have you guys been to Blanchett Park? Okay, if you haven't, repent and be saved. This park is amazing. And it's got this tower of death, right? And it literally, like it's like three stories tall. I'm even sometimes scared to go up there. But Dawson, he, like he loves it up there. And he like, like hangs through the bars, you know what I'm saying? Makes all the other parents nervous. But last night, last night Maddox like goes up, like crawls by himself. I'm like watching him do it. He crawls and he's on the second tier. Well, the second tier is where the big, the big boys uh, hang out. Because on the third tier, right, like uh, what's, what's a PETA, what's... What's like organizations that protect small children? Anyone? Anyway, like the FDA, the F- some, some kind of governmental agency, like the, the top, like has all the bars around it. Are we together? Like they're not going to let kids fall out. But the second tier, second story, there's like firemen's poles and like it's open air. My Maddox, my one and a half year old, I watch him and he like crawls and he, he stands up in this opening. Like he's like 10, 12 feet high. And I'm just like, as a proud parent, like a little bit, you know, I'm just standing back. And other parents are like, whose kid is that? You know what I'm saying? He's going to die. But like, I'm close enough where I can catch him. So, you know, don't step to this. I'm close enough where I can catch him, you know. But I just watch him and he leans over and he like looks down this fireman's pole. And I'm watching him. It's awesome. He like leans back and he like steps back and he's like, "Uh uh-huh. Like, what's up now? (laughs) And he like looks up at Dawson. He's like, I ain't too young. You know what I'm saying? But. Listen, when I was going home from the park, I thought this to myself. How lame would it be if I took my kids to the park and I was like trying to hold all three of them somehow? And I was like, kids, look at this rock wall over here. Isn't it amazing? Like watch the, the kids over there. They're having so much fun. You'll never get to experience it, but isn't it awesome watching them? Like look. look. And then if I like, like mosey them over by the swings, kids, you'll never believe it. A swing it just makes the breeze go through your hair. Like you feel free, hold me jack. Like you just, like you just, it feels awesome. You know what I'm saying? But then I was like, but you'll never get to, you'll never get to go on that. But isn't it fun to watch them? And I just took them around to all the pieces of the park. Uh, and I was like, look at that, look at that. Wouldn't that be fun if you ever got to do that? You never will. <laughs> the amazing thing about what the Lord does is he's a God who, doesn't just say, listen, here's what it looks like to follow me. He equips us. And how? He lets us live. He doesn't hold us back in some shell of Christianity. He says, you know what? Why don't you guys go play over there a while? I'll watch you all the way, and I'm going to equip you to follow me. But you know what? You need to skin your knee once or twice. You need to climb up a rock wall and fall back to know that it hurts. Right after he calls the disciples to come and follow him, anyone knows what happens? Exorcism, right? That's not in the playbook of protective Christianity, which is happening all over America. Let's put our kids in the basement, we'll put the dogs down there, and we'll hope they learn something, right? Like, that doesn't happen. You don't understand how to live in culture by just putting a shield around your children. Jesus exposed his disciples instantaneously so they would learn that he would equip them and that they would need to be relying on him. 
But so many of you are looking at your suffering like, God, why would you ever do this to me? When God's like, what do you mean? I'm letting you live. I'm equipping you. And that is one of the most amazing things I'll ever do. Because you skin your knee and guess where you'll look? You'll look for help and guess where I'll be? Helping. You'll sit there in your despair sometimes, falling off the rock wall, and guess where I'll be? That's right, picking you up again. Well, all the while, you're learning how to follow me in a lost and dying, hurtful, depraved culture. What I love about the gospel is God just doesn't say, all right, hop to it. Figure it out. Good luck. Here's the handbook. He says, here's the scripture. Here's the spirit. I'm going to equip you to do every good thing. And that's the power of verse 21. Now, what I realized after all this is that this actually summarizes our theological statement here at Matthias. You're like, Thea, Hama? Um, theological uh, is our view of God. Theo, God, ology, view of, study of, right? Theology, then, our view of God. Now, our view of God that we say here at Matthias, very, very critical, is here in the red. Our view of God is God is accomplishing His will by His power alone and for His glory alone. So you're like, well, 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 where is man in that exactly? Exactly. You come here week in and week out, uh, I'll tell you this right now, uh, this ain't Oprah or Ellen, okay? You're going to be encouraged by who God is. And not just your heart caressed with nice pleasantries. We believe God should be exalted and man should be decreased. And what we see here in, the, in verse 20 and 21 is exactly this statement. God accomplished His will. He sent His Son cross was bloodied, and by his power alone resurrected him. And in the end, just as the writer says here, all glory forever and ever will be his. An amazing two verses, an amazing benediction. And then he closes this. I'm curious, how do you typically close your emails? Any of you guys? Or your text? Do you guys have some signature on your texts? Do you guys have like a, like a thing that's always yours, right? I went through this season where I always put like much love. Do you guys have one of those taglines, right? All right, anyways, um, didn't go as well as I had hoped. Verse 22, he kind of, he closes this with, with what feels like a sincerely, but, but it's so much more. He says first, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. I, I don't feel like it's been brief. A- anybody else? <laughs> Just to prove my point, uh, I had one of our interns, um, L. Rich Walker, you guys know Richie? Amazing man from the Bahamas. Uh, I, I, I asked him, I said, all right, listen, I have this a project I'd like you to do. I'd like you to write Hebrews out uh, two-spaced in like ADHD uh, format. What do they call that? APA. Uh, I want you to write it out in like term paper format because I want to I see like how, double-spaced, I want to see how many pages Hebrews would be just to prove that it wasn't so brief. And uh, so he printed it out. And uh, is Richie in here? I saw him back there. There he is. Okay, he's out there. How many pages was it? How many pages was it? 24 pages, double-spaced. Now, I, I, as for me in my house, when I was asked to write papers in college, this wasn't brief. Anybody else? Like a 24-pager, a 24 like that, that about put me in the insane asylum a couple times. You know what I'm saying? Like, are you serious? Like, I have to copy 24 pages from the Internet? This is going to take me all night. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know. Now, the reason, say it ain't so, 
The reason, the reason that I believe he writes uh, and says that it's briefly uh, is that I think he's got caught up in the power of all this. And you know sometimes like when things are just epic and awesome, it feels so short. I feel like that's kind of the case for him. Or it could just be that in comparison to the other incredibly long scrolls that are out there, he's like, in comparison to this guy who wrote like, you know, a scroll from the Dead Sea to Jerusalem, this is pretty brief. I, either way, from his perspective, it, it wasn't that long. He says, bear with this word of exhortation. Write it on your heart. Take it with you. In verse 23, he adds this. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Now this is typical of ancient writing, especially in terms of the scripture, giving some strong greeting or encouragement to people that they may know. Now Timothy is of course a man in the scripture, a disciple of Paul. Well, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, and so a verse like this makes you think like maybe Paul wrote it, and he's bringing Timothy in the picture. Hey, Timothy was in prison? We can't say that for sure, and in fact, what we can say about verse 23 is that there was a man named Timothy who was once in prison, and we don't know much else than that. Uh, you could have gotten that yourself, right? You're like, why did I come tonight? Okay. Uh, <laughs> verse 24 then says this, I Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Again, a very typical biblical pattern of when you would send a letter, and that took a lot of effort. <laughs> okay, much more than, than us. I don't need to go into that, I, I feel like. In ancient times, to send any kind of document took tremendous effort, and so you would add in greetings. The last words of Hebrews, verse 25. So, what I did is I thought to myself, I don't think this is the only letter that ends that way. And so I thought to myself, self, what would be really helpful is to do the research, and then what would be really helpful is to show my friends uh, the research that I found. And so I've done that for us. Um, so starting here in 1 Corinthians, in fact, I'm going to go through every single letter from 1 Corinthians to Hebrews. We together? Let's see if we see a pattern here. These are the last words of each of these books. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 23 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. In 2 Corinthians at the end of verse 14, we see the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Galatians 6, verse 18, we see the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Ephesians 6, grace be with you all. Are you noticing a bit of uh, repetition here from the School of Redundancy School? Verse 23 from Philippians 4, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. If this wasn't a strong enough case, next slide, here we go. Colossians 4, verse 18, grace be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 2 Thessalonians 3, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. 1 Timothy 6, a bit shorter and easier on my breath, grace be with you. 2 Timothy 4, verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Titus 3, grace be with you all. And Philemon, or Philemon, however you pronounce it, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Every single letter from 1 Corinthians to Hebrews ends in grace. Now, uh, your thought could be, that's just like our sincerely. It's a nice pleasantry. If you're closing something, it'd be good if you bear with it some repetition. Have a nice way of closing it. Grace, comma, Paul, you know, wink, wink, right? <laughs> My question is, why do all these end with Grace. Listen, do you understand some of the powerful truths in 1 Corinthians? 
Have you ever read Thessalonians? It's deep. Timothy, Paul's letter to his young disciple. Intense stuff. And all of it ends with the simplicity of grace. Why? All of these letters end with grace because each of these writers know that in the end, grace is all you've got. And so they could say, go to it. You can read, can't you? You can hear, can't you? Live it. Do it. Go for it. Come on. It's time. Like, here's the motivational moment. Hop to it. Instead, what do they all say? Grace. They end in grace because they know in the end, grace is all we got. And so it brings all of these readers back to the simplicity of the gospel. You have nothing to give. He gave everything. And because of that, peace can be made with God. And His grace pours over us all. But what we're doing in our mental state, depravity and struggle, is we're revealing that we don't need it. The biblical writers believe that it was all that you had. And yet I look around at a whole bunch of friends of mine that I feel, and at times myself, are acting as if they don't need His grace. And you're like, well, Mark, how can you make that statement? Well, I know some of the pain that you're in. I know some of the despair that you feel. I know some of you right now feel buried. And I know some of you are thinking in your head, like there's, as a Christian, I came to Christ three years ago or four years ago or six months, and there's no way God will keep forgiving me. There's no way. But I've come to learn about grace is at the point you think grace is done, that's where it's beginning. At the point you feel like it, it just can't, it can't keep coming. He can't keep forgiving. That's just the point where he's starting. At the second, you feel completely suffocated by all of your sin, regret, remorse. That's the exact moment that he gets to show his power. And so all of these writers said, grace be with you because it's all you got. So stop resting in yourself. Stop believing the satanic lies, the heretical lies that say you can earn God's love. Get it out of your mind. It's so much more freeing to believe and know that he's done all the work. And so that's why at the end of such a heady theological doctrinal book as Hebrews, he has nothing else to say but grace. Live in it. Experience it. Soak it up because it's all you got. Stop trying to earn it. Stop thinking God's approving of you outside of Christ. He's not. It's only because of Jesus you're seen as his kid. Celebrate that. Rest in that. Enjoy that. Don't take advantage of grace. But know, my friends, that that's all you need. I want you guys to stand with me if you could.
When I was uh, <clears throat> sitting with my father in 1993, and we started crying over a show that was ending, the thought in my mind is like, I, I'm, I'm never going to get these days back. Like, it's, it's over. And the amazing truth of what we have to rest in tonight is he's just beginning. He's nowhere near over. And there's such an opportunity for us to have more. You're like, but I just, I I, want to experience more. I want to have more. I want to know more of it, my friends. Tomorrow when we wake up, unless he comes back or you die, grace will abound again. And as Paul says, it's grace upon grace. And so tonight, guess what? We have the chance as the body of Christ to run to the cross and to pull off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup as believers and say, God, I need your grace right now in this situation. I'm tired of my porn. I'm tired of sitting lonely in my room thinking that somehow by pleasuring myself that it's going to give me some semblance of worth. I'm tired of it. God, I need your grace to pour over my life. Those of you that have been burned by a parental divorce, you're just like, I'm so tired of my parents not caring about who I am. Listen, grace abounds. For the raped and the abused and the hurting and the lost and the confused, the great message of the cross is run to it. Because the grace flows down, my friends, it covers all of us. It's all sufficient. And so I rest in the fact that the tears from 1993 of something that will never end tonight, I have the joy of knowing this is eternal. The life that we have in Christ, the grace that there will be a day by death or Jesus coming back that I will find myself at the footstool of the throne of God forever and I can't wait for that day. And so church tonight, may grace be with you all. Run to the cross. Celebrate the power of what the new covenant is. God, I sense tremendous hurt in this room. And I pray right now that you would remind us of our need. Remind us how desperate we are for your love and grace. Remind us of how we're nothing without it. Remind us that we're not far away from you, that that your grace extends, your mighty arm extends and pulls us toward yourself again, God. So I pray tonight that you will heal the hurting and that you'll love the unloved. And that you'll be gracious to us all. Respond when you're ready, church.